0: Well, hello, Christ Community Church. My name is Brian Stock, and I'm one of your missionaries and my family, Mandy and the three girls. Of course, we have a long history with Christ Community Church, and it is such a joy and a blessing to be here today, to be able to share God's word. And if you don't have an opportunity to know what we're doing in South Asia and uh, planting churches, we'd love to come out and to see you uh, and to even come together as a family or maybe go out, whatever you're comfortable with uh, while we're here in America. Again, our hearts really love you. We're so thankful for your support. And so, but thank you for this opportunity for being able for me to be able to bring God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open to Isaiah chapter 6. And we will go through Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 10. I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips." And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt has taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of his people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This ends the reading of the word of God. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word. May your heart be our heart. May your eyes be our eyes. May your ears be our ears. May you give us holy the holy spirit to hear your word in Jesus name. Amen. And uh, last year, around this time, December two thousand nineteen, my family and I we went to the north of India, where the other MTW team is. And this is the first time we were there. We were staying at some friend's house, and it was kind of in a mountain range. And the first morning, I woke up, uh, and I went out for a run. And that this morning, there was some really dense fog. So I went along in a way. I got about as high as I possibly. Uh, wanted to, I could, and I looked out over the ridge, and well, it was foggy, and so I saw a whole bunch of fog. It was dense fog up in the mountain region, so I ran back down, and, and went on the day. Uh, then the in, the in the next couple of days, I went up for the same thing, but today, that day, I it was where I was, uh, so the it was. It was clear skies. And so I went up to that same point. And this time, when I looked out, it was right in front of my eyes, the glorious Himalayas, the glorious Himalayas, these massive mountains. I was like, wow, so beautiful, so magnificent, so wonderful. And then I went back down. And actually, later that day, uh, the family took us to another spot in the area and uh, we actually got to have a picture uh, and it turned out to be our Christmas card. It was that's a nice pretty it's a nice Christmas card. But what's the difference between the two runs? What's the difference? Well, visibility. Visibility. And this is the question I have for you today. What is your visibility of God right now? What is your visibility of God you know, in the current climate of the world? Of this nation, or maybe your family, or individually, if you're like me, my guess is there's low visibility. <laughs> it, it's it's foggy. It's hard to see. <laughs> 2020, as it's coming to a close, was supposed to be the year of, of, of vision, and now seeming like no one can see. You know, if you're you know, what happens when you can't see, or in a dark room, or it's hard to move. It's hard to make plans. It's hard to take the next step in the future. It's hard for churches to move forward with their mission, in their mission, to see the vision. The the fog has landed, and we're afraid to take the next step because the next step is actually going to take real faith. And to have real faith, you're going to need to see the real God. And that's hard to do. And today, this hour, that's my prayer, is that we would see God together. When we have high visibility of God, we will be mobilized for mission. When we can see God clearly, we will be able to move out to mission. Mission here in the greater Atlanta area, mission in India, So let's see this clearly from Isaiah chapter 6. So, as we go into this passage, we must know that when Isaiah entered the temple that day, from this well known passage, his situation out in the world and out in his nation was foggy at best, dense fog. If we had time to read chapters Isaiah 1-5, um, through 5, we would see over and over again that there was a political, a national, a religious problem at hand. Does this sound familiar? To anyone? <laughs> but it's even more than just the fog in the land. The people of God have even have a bigger problem. They are blind to God. Look at verse 9. It says this. It says, Go and say to the people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Here's the bigger problem. It's it's an eye problem. It's It's a heart problem. The eyes of our heart do not see God. The people of God have become what they do see. They have become what they have worshiped. They have become what they are beholding in front of them. What can't see? What can't speak or hear? Well, back then it's the idols, the idols of the nations, the idols made by human hands all around them. The people of God have become uh, deaf and and dumb and, and blind. And so what or, or who is before you? What's before you? See, this is true for all of us. Whatever is before us is what we become. It's true for all of us. When I was, uh, during the lockdown, I was able to run and be, met this uh, guy on, uh, as I was running. And uh, his name was Hina, and he was a, a secular Hindu, uh, and we had these great runs. They were quite long. Uh, and one Saturday, I was running along with him, and I was preparing a message for heaven. And so I asked him, just, you know, hey, what's your, what's your concept of heaven in your thought? And he actually, and then he gave a, a lot of in, uh, interesting answers and, and what kind of came from what he believed. Um, and, but what he said was this. He said that heaven is now. Heaven is is here and now. And and I'm running and I'm looking around and I'm seeing, you know, cows pooping on the road and, and, and there's poverty everywhere. And I'm just like, this ain't gonna look like heaven. But then, okay, so then I come along and then I ask the question, Well, well what's hell? Well he said, Well, this is hell as well. This is heaven and this is hell. And I said, Huh, that's interesting. So, how do you tell? Well, and he said, Well, the, the reason how you tell the difference is you decide. You decide if it's heaven or hell. And I thought, That's really interesting. So then I asked him along a little bit more further in the run. I said, Okay, so what you're saying is that if you wake up today in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany or you wake up on the Caribbean islands and a holiday of the sea, it's the same thing. And he said, yes. And I said, wow. <laughs> I said, I said, I mean, in my mind, I said, that's blind. That's blind. His worldview is what he beholds is because he's coming from a Hindu worldview that ev- all is one. And, and so it is, it makes sense that heaven's one and hell is one. They're all the same thing. And that's the way he sees the world. That's what he's beholding. And so he needs to see Jesus Christ in that moment who makes all the difference. Now, if I leave you with that story, I know what you'll do, because I would do the same thing as I've wrestled with this. I will cast self-righteous judgment. self righteousness isn't say, well, I'm free, consistent. I don't have that world. I understand what the difference between heaven and hell are. But see, I can't do that. Because what? Because God here is exposing, exposing the people of God Isaiah. He's exposing Isaiah. He's exposing you. He's exposing me. He's exposing us. See, could, could it be that the church has so much division socially, economically, ethnically, because we do not see God? Could it be that the church has not considered our neighbor love the poor like the good Samaritan because we do not see God. Could it be that why this nation is on the rise with those who have no religious affiliation? Because the church does not see God. Could it be that the church, as as a church, live in isolation from the mission of God? Because we do not see God. And could it be that our church services are more ritualistic, more full of religiosity and hypocrisy because we don't see God? Like the people of God in Isaiah's time who had forgotten God, we have also forgotten God because we have not seen God for who He truly is. Has the evangelical church become what they have beheld. And it's not the real God. And God knows this. God knows this. And he pays a visit to Isaiah. And one of the most grandest theophanies of the Old Testament. I love the way the, the our confession says the Westminster Confession he says he says that God condescends in his great he voluntarily condescends to it. And that's what we see here. God coming down to Isaiah. Isaiah needed to see God. We need to see God for who he is. We don't need to see man. We don't need to see government. Dare I say, we don't even need to, say tr- to see church and church plans, but we need to see God. You need to see God. And this will move us as we walk in faith, not by our sight, whether in whatever season, whatever situation in this church here, Christ community, or in my church in in India at New City Fellowship. So we come to the passage. Isaiah, again, let's look at verses 1 through 4. You see this grand vision. You see that King Uzziah died and. And then he's, he said, the Lord, and he's sitting on this throne, and there's this majestic vision. And you have these seraphim there crying out, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory, and it's shaking. So here we see that Isaiah, Isaiah, again, he's a religious priest. This is what he does for his job. He, he, he goes, and Isaiah opens the door of the temple much like you would be opening the door to your office, and then God opens the door to his heavenly temple. And Isaiah sees the Lord, and he invites him to see him. And he, Isaiah, now invites us to share into that vision of God. So let me give you four glimpses of God from these four verses First, we see that God is alive. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, King Uzziah is dead, and God lives on. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 90, verse 2. See, we, we put a lot of stock in our political leaders Who who hasn't had a conversation or Or even more about the election, the past election, uh, this week, uh, yesterday, even today, maybe this morning. (laughs) Yet, every ruler faces the same plight as King Uzziah. Current President Trump, maybe what's going on? (laughs) President-elect Joe Biden, former President Obama, King Henry VIII, Napoleon's the Caesars, All will die. Their turnover in world leadership is 100%. But not God. He lives on. He always has been, and he will be alive. Number two, we see that God is king. The Lord, he sits on the throne of the universe. He is authoritative. He is central, and he rules all. I was once we're, uh, driving down, I think it was uh, up uh, 85, and there was a sign, a billboard, and it said, God is not a socialist. And I responded to Mandy, I said, and neither is he a delegate in a democracy. He, he, he's not like one who just has one vote amongst all the other votes. No, God is a dictator. Now he is a good dictator, wants to get to know him, but he rules all. Psalm 115.3. God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. We just need to, just need to maybe pause the video here, maybe, and just and just let God as king work on you. It just needs to work on us. And it does. We see that God is number three, God is revered. The, the scene here is overwhelming for Isaiah. And as it should be, you have there's this throne that's high and lifted up, and, and you have, have, have you ever, have you ever stood underneath, like right at the edge of a very tall building? Uh, I was in a trip over in Taipei, and there was this. We got the opportunity to go to the, one of the tallest buildings. I think it used to be the tallest building in the world, Taipei One. And I remember being right there, under, uh, right at the edge of the, the 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 bottom of the, and just looking back, and almost like having to bend over. Of of this massive building, uh, and it's just it's just overwhelming, and that's what you see here. You see God Almighty, and He is sitting on the throne on top of this massive structure. And then there's God's robe. Have you have you have you seen? You, you have you have seen. Uh, my wife did. Uh, when when a bride walks down the aisle, and her train is just flowing from her row from her head and it just it just covers the aisles and covers the center and it and it radiates her beauty and here God's robe filled the temple is radiating his exquisite splendor and majesty and beauty. And then you have the response of these seraphim. Now, no one really knows what these strange six winged creatures are with wings and feet and intelligence, but they are massive. They're shaking the temple's foundation with their very words. It's like going to and standing on the lawn of Stone Mountain and speaking and then having Stone Mountain just shake. It is frightening. And they continue to do this day and night with one purpose, to revere and to worship God on the throne. And what do they say? Number four, we see that God is holy. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, what does it mean for God to be holy? I need a little help here. It's hard to, to gather this in an understanding So I'm going to get a little help from a professor, Sinclair Ferguson, a great churchman and theologian. And he says this, For God to be holy, it means that God is separate from sin. But also holiness in God also means wholeness. God's holiness is God's godness. It is his being God in all that is meant for him to be God. To meet God in his holiness, therefore, is altogether overwhelmed by the discovery that he is God and not man. That God is God. That God is unique. That God, there is no other real God to compare him. When he is in a class in himself, he is utterly holy. God is God and we are not. Have you had this discovery before? I remember the first time that, that just it just landed on me. I remember exactly the same spot where I was in my parents' house. I was walking up the stairs and it just, it just hit me. It just hit me. God's godness. And I, I could never turn back. Now, I, um, from that moment, now, I hadn't studied theology back then, but I knew in my mind, in my being, if God was God, then he was massively bigger than I was. And even then, I was actually wrong. Because that's, it's not like God's godness is just like me, like 10 billion times bigger. Because that, what would happen is you would get Brian, you would get all of Brian 10,000 times or 10 million times bigger. That's not good because I'm sinful. So God is in a unique class of himself. And at that moment, when I had that, he's really, he really working on me. He put my trust, leaning on him, trusting in the Lord and not in myself and bringing me all to worship Have you had those moments where God is God and you realize you're not? Here we see that God is God and that he is magnificent holy, that that God is alive, that God is king, that God is to be revered in his holiness. That's the vision that Isaiah saw. What, what, what does it do to Isaiah? Well, let's turn to the text now. Let's read verse 5. And, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the presence of God, Isaiah is undone. He's, he's dismantled. Isaiah is like a log on the chopping block and with one swing of God's axe, he is split. He's done. Now, I, I want to be pastoral here. I have to know, and you have to know that God doesn't do this every day, right? He doesn't do this every day. Often the way that God works on our petrified hearts is he chisels. He chisels daily. He chisels daily, day in and day out with the Word and the Spirit. But this time, there are moments that God takes us to his chopping block. And this is one of the moments in Isaiah's life where in just one swing, he is just dismantled. He's undone. And he cries out, woe is me. He sees that he has broken and polluted, that he has sinned. Then he sees his sinfulness. He's no longer blind, no longer blind to God, but no longer blind to himself as well. He, Isaiah can no longer hide. His religious pride has far too long blinded him from seeing God. And now the light of God has exposed Isaiah' pollution. He's public before the king, and he is polluted. We we just need to meditate on how God's holiness exposes our pride. What do we see here in Isaiah? Isaiah first says that I am lost. He recognizes that he can't save himself, that there is no salvation in the race of man. There is no way to get back to God from where he stands he is lost in the woods somewhere and there's no way for him to find. The, the light of God has exposed and penetrated the secret faults of and more corruption of his soul. And two, you see here, the next thing you see Isaiah confessing is, I am a man of unclean lips. Now we need to take a step back here and we, I need to ask the question, What is Isaiah's profession? What is he? Is he not a prophet? And what is the instrument of a prophet? Is it not his lips? Is it not his lips? Isn't that what he uses for his trade? Has not he used his lips even to read the word of God? Yes, yes. So here, what Isaiah is discovering in front of the holy is something that can be so right, such as preaching the Word of God, can be done so wrong that it is when it's done in pride and self-salvation. Isaiah now, he, he begins to know of his religious righteous acts are, as he says later in Isaiah 64, 6, are filthy rags. See, here we need to discover this about ourselves. We need to see that so often it's, it's the very strengths and qualities and gifts that stand befluted polluted before God because they're done in self-glory. No discovery can be more devastating for us. So often it, it takes uh, it, so often it is what you take in pride, that's what becomes your identity. That's what you want to be known for. That's why you become defined by, not just by yourself, but by the community. And yet, in the presence of a a magnificent, holy God, all your strengths are in vain. God's holiness devastates a man or a woman's pride. So let me ask, when has the vision of God's holiness devastated you, humbled you? And are you bold enough to confess with Isaiah? Unclean, unclean. Now, we have to think about this. How did Isaiah, how did Isaiah get this boldness to confess like he did? Because it's not normal to his community right now. And you're in a religious community, you don't confess. But how is he the most, at that standard of the day would have been the most holy man. How is he? how does he have the boldness to confess like he did? And this goes back to what the serpent said. I'm um, not the serpent. Uh, the seraphim said, and he repeats, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now God's glory is His holiness going public. God is telling us who he is to the world. But here's the thing. Isaiah didn't see some words in the sky or even a voice. He saw a person. And and who's that? Well, the Lord of hosts. Well, who's that? And, And here is where we need the Gospels, the Gospel of John to help us here. And it is glorious John 12, 41. It says this, Isaiah said these things, that he tells his vision, because Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke of Jesus. The vision of Isaiah in the temple, the overwhelming magnitude of the throne and the seraphim, and then when Isaiah looks up, who does he see? He sees Jesus. The face of Jesus, the face of Jesus, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God includes the glory of mercy. mercy. He sees, he looks up and he sees Jesus' face and he sees Jesus' eyes and those eyes are filled with compassion and those eyes are focused to the cross. And Isaiah's heart floods with gospel confession and repentance. That's how Isaiah, that's how Isaiah is able to confess so boldly. He didn't die in terror. No, he saw Jesus extending mercy. That's what the text says. Isaiah 6, 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew and having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken from the tongs of the altar, and he touched on my mouth and said, Behold, see, just Jesus. This is Jesus extending mercy. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Folks, friends, this is the gospel. This is the clearest picture of the gospel, that God is holy and that we are not. That, that, that he is more holy than we think. And that we are more sinful than we can imagine. And there is a huge gap. And Isaiah is, is stuck. He can't go to God. But here's the gospel. In mercy, God in Christ comes to Isaiah. The good news is that God moves to you in mercy and compassion. That Christ is that lamb on the altar, that burnt offering that takes our sinfulness and takes our guilt and takes our shame and it, taking it all away. Can you confess with Isaiah this? Will you confess this And when you do, when you do, now we're back to the question. What is your visibility? What is your visibility of God? Confession clears the eyes of the heart. And when we have clear eyes, those who are pure in heart can see God. And we can see the king. We can see his magnificent glory and this moves us to mission. This awakens us. This grows our faith. We see God. Our our mission is theological. Now, that's not esoteric academia. I'm not talking about that. That's another subject. No, we're talking theology by, by, by knowing and seeing and experiencing and loving God to to get to, to know God, to get to enjoy God, to get the vision of God in the face of Christ that, that the world can see. That's what my friend Henna needed to see. He needed to see God in Christ. That's what you need to see. That's what your friends need to see. They need to see God in Christ. And as our eyes are renewed and our ears are restored, then we can hear the King asked whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Can you answer, here I am, send me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word exposes our sin and clearly shows your word and shows us you. May God, now you give us a heart that is obedient to your word as Isaiah was obedient.